Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hockey Jersey Addicts, the podcast and support group for the addicted hockey jersey fan to talk twill, wool, acrylic, and polyester. Join us as we share what we've learned and uncovered about the game of hockey through collecting, restoring, customizing, and selling hockey jerseys. Around here, no jersey is too small or too big, too new or game-worn, too loud or too proud. We see everyone as equal and explore a diverse range of topics ongoing in the hockey community. We'll also dive into the vault with hockey history, trivia, and reminisce as much as possible about the grails we've got, the thrift store finds, and the watchlist wants. So put on some polyester, give us a listen, and if you like what you hear and want more, make sure to subscribe and follow us on your podcast station and social media of choice at Hockey Jersey Addicts. And remember, you miss 100% of the jerseys you don't collect. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hockey Jersey Addicts. I am your host, Dan, a.k.a. Van Can Fan 75 And today, I have the pleasure to be joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, I wouldn't be here today without her, I guess you could say. It's Mother's Day week, and I thought I'd be talking to some moms this week. So I've brought on no one better than my own hockey moms. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine, a.k.a. Hockey Mom, a.k.a. Mom. Why don't you say hi to all of our hockey listeners out there? Hi. Hi, Dan. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it'll be this will be fun to uh, to go down some memory lane with you. Oh, thanks, Mom. And I'm really happy to see you're wearing a jersey. That was not something I asked for, but she's got the Leafs jersey on because she's talking to me in quarantine from Toronto. So I thought I'd try to return the favor and wear some woolly boy sweaters. It's an Ace Bailey Heritage jersey. So wow. uh, we got some lease action today. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the culture, the politics, the life of being a hockey mom through the ups and downs and everything in between. So looking forward to it. Thanks for being on. Let's get into it. Okay. Great. It seems like when I was growing up, I, all I had to worry about was. I was in hockey and I was playing hockey and I just assumed that the tournaments we were playing during the season were all just part of our regular season. Like that was just, Oh, it's Thanksgiving time. It's time for the Turkey time tournament. And that was yeah. just part of the regular season. I didn't is, I guess I didn't notice that those are separate exhibition things that were we having to pay to enter them as a club. Oh, yeah. And so we had what, like dues for just playing our regular season. And then every time we would go travel, would that be like a tournament that we were playing to or paying to be a part of and go play most in? Most of them. Most oh, of them. Wow. Most of them. And, and you're like your, um, your sort of initiation and your, your regular season, um, tournament or your regular season costs were basically just covered ice time and the coaching and, and those kinds of things. And so tournaments were definitely an add on. And, and there was the, like, sometimes it was the bus cost and it was the, you know, staying in the hotels and all those other things that had to come into it. So 
It, yeah, and some of the tournaments were pretty expensive because they a lot of them, if they were out of state or out of wherever, they you know involved two or three nights in a hotel, and you didn't know if you're going to win, so then maybe you had to stay an extra night and all that kind of stuff. Plus, just the travel to get there and the food, you know, like it all added up. And of course, in our case, your dad was traveling a lot, so I usually had to bring Kate too, and unless I could pawn her off on somebody who <laughs> wanted to keep her for a weekend. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a very expensive sport um, for, for you to be in. Um, I remember when we first moved to Chicago, uh, you'd been playing not maybe as competitive hockey as you had been. True. Um, but also trying to get you into the Winnetka League was, uh, I had no idea that it was going to be like a very seriously competitive um, non, it wasn't really recreational league. It was, it was highly competitive. I mean, some of these, the parents that I met really believed that their kids at 10 or eight were, were destined to get into the NHL. And so as a result, um, many of those kids had been practicing the entire summer while you were at camp learning how to canoe and swim and make a bonfire. They were at special camps that were geared to, you know, their right wrist slap shots and all that kind of stuff. And tryouts were like a really big deal and they were closed. The parents couldn't go in and watch. Um, it was all heavily weighted towards kids that had already been in the system and were coming up. And, and when we first got there, you were this kind of like unknown Canadian kid just showing up. And I mean, I didn't, I just kind of figured, well, you, you'd get on some kind of a team and, and you did, but there was sort of a bit of a backlash because you were a Canadian kid coming in and, and basically getting on an American team, your first your first season in oh gosh like i it's so interesting hearing this now because i totally am oblivious at this age we're talking like i'm eight or nine years old and yeah. i i'm just like oh i moved i had way more important things on my mind i just like <laughs> completely moved out of a country and left all my friends behind and yeah i had been playing competitively in ontario enough to know Oh, wait a minute. They're asking me to play in some like showcase tournament at the end of this, at the end of the year for Ontario players and stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is fun. Yeah, that was fun. And then I got like uprooted and I just was like expecting to go play hockey next year. Like I, I just wanted to go back to like, that was my normal. Okay. That was like what I knew I could control was like, as soon as I was on the ice, like I could play hockey and forget the rest of what was going on. But I also totally was unaware that I was in the middle of this political tryout turmoil. Like I just didn't even know I was really trying out. I just thought I went there, I played a few games and I was being placed onto a team. I didn't know that there were stakes that I might not make a team until I think I was playing road hockey with the neighbor, Andrew Gomez, and he was a goalie 
And he was like, oh, you'll be lucky if you make the team in your first year. And I'm like, yeah. huh, what does he mean by that? And how are you eight years old and understand hockey politics already and stuff? Um, so I now I got to go back to this comment you said about like the parents weren't allowed in the tryouts. And stuff. was that always the case? Was it always like closed or? Um, I, I remember it being fairly, yeah, I, we just dropped, I dropped you off at the arena and we weren't allowed to come in to, to see you try out because I think there had been undue pressure and, and sort of like whose, whose kids were on which line, um, you know, if really? you were, yes, Jeez. Uh, who, who was, who was going to be, you know, sort of the first line and who were you paired up with? And, and I mean, word got out. So then the parents would stand around the parking lot. Of course, I didn't know anybody. So I'm standing there trying to sort of, you know, hi, I'm who I am. And we just moved here and, oh, you're, yeah, okay. We've heard he's pretty good, that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, for me, for me, it was just like, I... I wanted you so badly to get onto any team because I knew for you that having to leave and move was such a big thing anyway, that I thought if you at least get into hockey, you'll have something normal for you and you'll make friends and, you know, your life will kind of go along in the same vein, but you probably, we learned after would have made the middle team but because you were brand new, they put you on the, I can't even remember that. Was it the, was it a color? Yeah. Or? We had gold, silver, bronze back then. Okay, and so the it was incredibly apparent in the first like five games. I should not have been on the bronze team. No. And, and we knew you shouldn't have been on the bronze team either, but it was, I mean, you were on the bronze team because there were people who had gone to camp. I paid a lot for this. <laughs> um, so they they got on the uh the silver team and i eventually got up to gold it took a couple oh, yeah. of years but yeah. yeah that was weird and you moved with some kids that were in that you know the whole feeder system of they're going to make the nhl that's and super ignorant though like none well, of us were that good no well no i mean none of you were i mean the 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 thought that any of you were going to make the NHL was pretty remote to begin with, but some, some parents really believed and, and had basically set their own goals in line with what they wanted for their children and were living vicariously through their kids to, you know, make the team they didn't make as a, as an ad, as an adolescent or as a kid. But that's true of any sport. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I come from an athletic family for sure. Like my dad didn't play hockey at a competitive level, but the guy is an ox. And I think he was like rookie of the year in college football or something in, in Waterloo. Um, he was pretty good. Like I, I know that, but just also in basketball and stuff. But the, the point was he didn't, have the he didn't put the pressure on me from like strictly a lineage of hockey standpoint oh, no. I had like an athletic competitive nature to myself but it I couldn't go to my father to get my skills to be much better because he didn't 
get to that level in hockey. He could well, certainly he give me hockey. no, he, he not really. And I mean, he could certainly give me incredibly important athletic advice from like, this is what you should be eating and you need to be rested and you need to like, um, condition yourself and stuff. But yeah, I wasn't feeling the pressure on him to succeed in hockey. He, well, neither one of us thought of it as being a, uh, a do or die situation. We wanted you to have a sport that you loved, which you clearly did and have fun. I mean, I don't, I think fun was secondary in in many families cases in, in the leagues that you were playing in when we were in the States. But I don't think that that was the case when you played in Canada. I think, I think most people here were just happy that their kid made a team. I mean, do you recall that there was one of your earlier teams, you had a, a, a goalie that approached one of the the church teams that you played on St. Margaret's or something, or St. Tim's. I can't remember which one it was, but anyway, and he wanted his son to experience hockey. And, and this kid was older than you guys, but he had a severe handicap and then he was, he blind. was almost blind. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you're thinking like, Oh my God. I mean, there, there was sort of like, how can our kids be successful on a hockey team when the goalie's blind? And yet, even at the beginning of it, it was sort of, oh my God, this is just going to be the worst season ever, to also being a huge learning curve for everybody because the parents, once they sort of understood that this was this was just so important for this little boy to be able to play a normal sport in a normal environment, that he he basically had the entire parental group that would be watching him saying, it's coming, I remember it's that. coming. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and we'd all be cheering him and say, go to the left, go to the right, whatever. <laughs> and I mean, his poor dad and mom, they were they were mortified at first because he was just getting pummeled by shots and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, I've often wondered sort of what happened to him in his life in general, because I think the fact that that he was given that opportunity to be part of um, a team sport with a, a fairly dis- severe disability would have given him a lot of encouragement to have tried, I hope, hope to have tried a lot of things in life that he didn't think he was going to be able to do. Now, I can't imagine that have being would have happened um, where we moved to in the States as a possibility for that little guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I know there's feel good stories all around hockey, no matter where we're at um, in the world. And I think that's a really good perspective, though. And I mean, I I don't remember a whole lot about house league and select when I was a kid, because we moved to the States when I was nine. Um, But I do remember it seemed like I was in some kind of like Tim Hortons type program where it was, if you could show up, you could play. But I do remember those ice times being at like five 6 AM or something like that. So was that like a common thing for years? Cause I do remember also going to school after hockey practice in like fifth grade, maybe sixth grade or something like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys were pretty happy when 
we were old enough to get our driver's license for the yeah. late late night hockey uh, stuff that we had to deal with as teenagers. But when we're kids and you guys are already sleep deprived and you're like, oh, great. So my reward is I get to get up at five to take my kid to the rink. Wonderful. Like, what was that all like? Oh, it was it was awful. um no there was a lot well and and of course again it was the teams that that were the the lower end got the worst time right okay there was a lot of um a very early morning but uh, you you know talk about getting your license you were you had to be 16 to get your license there were a lot of years of hockey in there between then and (laughs) when you started um the one thing I, I recall when you first started, you were playing um, because you had your friend Alan that was going to be playing. So Alan's parents, good friends of ours and and Alan and you were good buddies. So we we thought, well, we'll go and try out for the same league. Oh, so smart. We, we can help each other with carpooling because at that time, your dad was in a job where he was traveling Monday to Friday, almost nonstop. Mm-hmm. So um, and that was through the Catholic churches that were near, like in, in the Toronto area. So there was um, St. Mike's, St. Tim's. Yeah. Blessed Sacrament, Ma- yeah. all of those. And uh, when you first came home and said, you know, Alan and I are going to try out for this. We didn't have any hockey equipment. I, I mean, we didn't have anything, right? You had a, you had a hockey stick. I had stick. a stick that was like with stick. a plastic blade on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And so I remember um, calling Lori Clark. Oh, yeah, sure. Because she had older boys that had played, I mean, and a daughter that played, um, and saying... I don't, I mean, I don't know if he's going to like this. I don't, I don't even know what I need to get. And she said, Oh, just come over and I'll give you one of, I can't remember their kids' names, but what Gordy or something, one of the kids old hockey equipment bags took it. And all I can remember is laying everything, every single piece of equipment out on the kitchen floor, because we had a huge floor in the kitchen. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And having then to call Lori and say, uh-huh. I don't even know what order this stuff goes on in. Cause you were I actually remember that. I remember standing in the kitchen <laughs> with you and it was like, we were putting together a piece of furniture. It, it was, was like, crazy. all right, what goes where and in what order? I do remember this. And it was, I mean, I just remember looking at it all. I think somewhere I have a picture of, I took a picture of the floor and it was like, everything was all over the place and individual things and garters and, and tape for the socks and two different sizes of whatever's and, and the pads and the, oh, it was, it was mental. And then finally getting you into it all. And, you know, my little boy who had hardly any meat on him at all, all of a sudden became like a Michelin man. Yeah. I remember that very well. I remember. um, And then trying. And then when you were little, you couldn't tie your skates because they had to be really tight. So, I mean, I think, Oh my God, I would just, my hands would just be like absolutely aching by the time I'd pulled them tight enough. And quite often I had to have Dave 
Dave Rowe would be there with Alan or something and I'd get him to finish it off and he could still get another inch out of them just because he was stronger and could pull them tight enough for, for you. So, I mean, there was all that kind of stuff. And then, and then when we did get to the States and, and win in the other team, I can remember, well, how many times I'd go and get you from school and we'd have like a, a practice up in Lake Forest or something. And I yeah. was car, carpooling, right? So picking uh-huh. up the kids from all over. Um, and when we first moved there, I got, I got on, on the carpool and I, I wanted the carpool cause I didn't know how I was going to manage it with your dad traveling and stuff. So <clears throat> meeting the moms at, at uh, Starbucks in, in Glencoe and they said, okay, well you can, you can get, you can drive to Lake Forest, pick the kids up and, and take them to Lake Forest. And I said, yeah, okay, where's Lake Forest? And well, buy a map. You're going to need a map to know how to get there. Welcome so, to the neighborhood. <laughs> right. You know, so I'm thinking like, okay. I, I mean, I didn't even know how to get to the Winneka Arena when we first got there. I had and, to have somebody draw me a map from yeah. the house to get and to the Winneka for Arena. For perspective, I mean, I'm not super old, but still, we are talking about a time where you did have to either have a road atlas or you would go on to MapQuest and print out your directions before, before you, you left, left that there was no, GPS, there was no in GPS anywhere. But I remember, you know, and if you were late, I mean, nobody was late, but me apparently for picking up, um, get, trying to get to certain houses and, and one way streets and schools that were closing or opening or letting out or whatever and driving around. And then a couple of times, especially when it was like Lake Forest or something, and and having you change in the back of a moving that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, moving van barreling down the highway. Yeah. Oh my god, that was not. I do remember those because the funny thing, <laughs> the thing that made that so comical, besides it being incredibly dangerous, was we we don't pay taxes for roads through tolls in Canada, but we did in Chicago. And we would drive to some rinks where we'd be on the highway and you'd have to go through the tolls and roll down your window and throw the change in the thing and then keep driving. And I don't, I totally remember sometimes where because of my height, I could almost stand completely in the trunk of the old Chevy van that we had. And I'd be like, and those windows are tinted. Right. So, so what would happen was I'd be in the back and I'd be like halfway through getting dressed because we're so late. But then, like, another car that had been driving on the highway would like pull up behind us as we all got slowed down in the queue of paying tolls. And the looks on some of the people's faces from the car yeah. is yeah. like, what the hell is going on in there? I know. <laughs> and then, of course, there was always the game or the practice or whatever it was for. And then we always went through a drive through for food because you guys were starving to death after your your game or practice. So then you'd have, you know, four boys with smelly, smelly hockey bags in the van. I'm trying to drive with the windows open and it's the smell of hockey sweat and hockey bag mixed with McDonald's hamburgers and French fries. Sounds awesome. 
It was. Yeah, it was fun. But and it was. <laughs> go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, but like, was it was it something that was embraced or was it, you know, like, I don't know how I want to I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what was was there a moment where you're like, this is my life now or something like that or anything? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I loved I loved watching you play hockey. I absolutely loved it. It was because uh, you were really fun to watch. You you were um, kind of um, you were an entertaining skater because you didn't you knew how to stop and twirl and you jump over people and you you know, you were you were just a lot of fun to watch play and you were and you scored quite a bit you were like you were a really highly motivated player and and gradually other parents saw that you were quite talented and that you did really well and but you didn't really let it get go to your head to the same extent that some kids did Hmm. Um, so I was really glad that you were grounded And then as a result of you being so invested in hockey and the amount of time it took, which, I mean, in retrospect, I think of Caitlin and, and the number of arenas she was dragged to. And yeah, that, I mean, that part, I, I kind of had there been more, um, like if one of us could have spelled the other off, Mm. that would have been different Then she could have had more maybe given to her, interests and time um but i'm sure that i paid for her university education and hot chocolate and popcorn that (laughs) from arenas um but no i mean i loved i loved your hockey your hockey time i thought it was it was it was really a fun time and and the hockey parents um some became good friends i mean they were the social group because a lot of your games were on weekends they were quite often on a friday or a saturday and so it's it's not like we were going out for dinners and and doing all the rest of it. Our our life pretty much revolved around your hockey schedule. Yeah, I think that's the thing that is becoming even more apparent to me as we keep talking is the sacrifice the whole family was making. I mean, whether or not we were aware of it completely, but you and I are kind of observing hockey from a different lens. Now Um, you went through uh, seeing me grow up in two completely different hockey cultures and countries. So Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have for hockey parents that are either going through raising a, a hockey player or are about to raise a hockey player, um, what do you think would be good advice for those people? Well, first of all, make sure your child wants to play. Hmm. If they don't want to play, don't make them play. Um, If they tell you they want to play and they make a team and then they don't want to play, make them go because they still have to learn the responsibility of commitment. And if you sign up, you're letting a team down. If you took a space of somebody who wouldn't otherwise get there. Um, If your if your kid, boy or girl loves it, encourage them as much as possible, but let them have other options in their life because the chances of them going pro are very, very small and don't pin a lot of expectations, especially your own on them. And, and, Make sure they're having fun. 
make sure that at the end of every game or the end of every practice, what they've gotten out of it is something positive so that they feel that they're, they're learning and they're growing. Um, but they should never be made to feel badly about it. And it's not you as a parent's life that's on the ice. It's your child's life that's on the ice. And so be cognizant of the other team as well. And, and don't be yelling at the kids that are maybe on the other team and winning that they're crap or they're horrible people or booing or yelling or cheering if somebody gets knocked out or hit, you know, it's, I mean, yes, it gets, it gets better and it gets more competitive as you get older, but still in the end, it is a sport. It is something that you want your person to enjoy doing and, um, and grow from as a, as a human, you don't want it to be a, a negative thing. If it becomes a negative thing or, or your kid doesn't want to do it, don't make them feel bad that they don't want to do it either. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. Yeah. But well, well put just, you know, it, and, and yes, and it's good for them to lose. It's mm-hmm. good for them to lose. They have to learn how to lose. If you don't learn how to lose like a hockey game, how are you going to learn how to deal with the crushing blow of missing out on some huge promotion you hope you're going to get you you've worked really hard for, but it's just not your turn. You're not going to get it. Some other power is, you know, come into play that says not your turn. So Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to accept these things and, and move past them. If you, if you don't, then you'll screw up even bigger when you, when you're out in the real world and having to do other stuff, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, and if you can get out there with your kid and play, that's, that's fun too. Like street hockey and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, for sure. Well put. Well, thanks mom. Appreciate thanks, it. Man. Uh, happy mother's day to you. Um, keep Send your eyes. Card. Yeah. Yeah. Of Does that course. make it on the podcast? Yeah. So I'm announcing to your entire audience to send cards to their mothers. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> so thanks a lot and okay. love you very much. Love you too. Bye. Uh, Go Leafs. <laughs> All right, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that part of the episode. Next, we're going to be talking with another hockey mom. Her name is Lauren. She's a really good friend of mine. We grew up at the rinks together because she's the sister of one of my best friends growing up, Mike. So you're going to hear the names Mike and John tossed around a little bit. That's uh, Mike's godfather and John is Lauren's father. Basically, we're just reminiscing about some great times we had growing up together playing hockey. And Lauren is now a mom with a boy and girl of her own who are also in hockey and supported with a lovely husband, Dave. So I just wanted to sit down with Lauren, reminisce a little bit, talk a little bit about how life has been like uh, raising two kids in this generation in youth hockey and what advice she has for other hockey parents out there. So enjoy. I love having all of those memories with Mike and gosh, it was fun going over to John's house and just 
seeing like I had no idea that collecting jerseys would be a good way of keeping memories of hockey alive. Yeah, absolutely. And it completely changed like what I thought was a good way of kind of going about immortalizing my favorite moments of games and stuff, you know? Well, it's funny because hold on one sec. Yeah. We even have hung up. The first jerseys the kids wore, they both played for this. It was like the house C team here oh. at the local. And Dave coached. We don't even know what ARFCO is. It's like <laughs> a packing company. But both kids ended up randomly getting placed on ARFCO. And Dave coached both kids. And they were like four and five years old, you know? And so we even have these hung up because it, it, it makes us think of that very first year of hockey for both of them. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I was asking my mom, I talked to her before this, like, are you at the cottage right now? And she's like, no, I'm in the city. I was like, damn, because up at the cottage, like she has the same thing. She has this box. And the only thing in the box is all of my house league and rec league jerseys over time. Like yeah. he just threw away all of the trophies. She's like state championship, whatever, yeah. <laughs> like no big deal. And, and she just has instead like St. Mike's like purple, yeah. horrible, like Jersey. And she's like, I don't even know who St. Mike is. Like it's the patron saint of hockey. Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have grips first. He played, you can see the Broncos, the mm -hmm. second Jersey. So his first year he played, he made the travel B team and that's the Broncos. Okay. So that was his first travel team. Now he plays for the K wings, which I don't know if you can see on the net. Um, oh yeah. Okay. The I've heard of that's his first travel a team uh, Jersey that he, he made that team. And he's still wearing his second round, but now Hunter now plays for the Broncos playing travel B. So yeah, it, it's it, it, same thing that we retire them and we hang them up on the wall. <laughs> uh, do they have any superstitions? I'll just get mine out of the way. I was not allowed to have an even number. That was like, you're going to get a bad season out of me. If you give me something with like that is it they don't care or is it like whatever oh no they do i'm i'm looking hold on i'll show you hunters is the weirdest one hold on all right she won't throw away her tape for the whole season wow so we have tape balls this is from 2017 2018 and they're all lined up up there she will not throw away her tape and so i'm presuming once she gets into a little more you know higher age and a little more competitive they'll have to move over to the clear tape but she's currently playing where she can pick her tape and so she won't throw away her tape that's pretty amazing. And the tape ball lives in her bag the whole season long. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, and it's hers, right? It's like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Don't pass it around the room. Only no. my tape. 
Yeah. No. And, and like, I don't know where this came from. I certainly never collected my tape. Dave <laughs> certainly did. In fact, the whole point of wearing tape was at the end of the game, you took it off and you threw it at people. Yeah. Like that's what you did. <laughs> so I don't know where saving your tape came from. Um, but yeah, so that's hers. Um, Griff has like, you know, he's got where he like, he goes into the locker room. He sits in the same place next to the same people, okay. like all of those. But with COVID, it really changed a lot of that because oh. they weren't allowed in the locker room for more than 15 minutes together. And so like a lot of their kind of go-to superstitions kind of changed this year out of necessity. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I don't know what it'll be like when we go back. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, RIP locker room pump up remix, like, damn, <laughs> that was fun. I remember like a couple of years ago, you were like, Hey, Griffin needs, or it might've been Hunter, like a pump up mix for the locker room. And I was like, it was weird. Like, as I wrote the first one, I could then tell you what the next song was because I was like going through the playlist. Like I listened to every game before. I was yeah, like, okay, absolutely. Black Betty. Okay, Thunderstruck. Okay, uh, Crazy Train. Okay. <laughs> it was just it's so much more fun. So Griffin's 14 now. And so it's so much more fun because I'm not as concerned about curse words in the music. Like when I put, put that list out, it was like, what can we do that doesn't have curse words? You know, cause all the good songs do. <laughs> so, um, you know, so now it's much easier to compile a good playlist, but it's funny. So we have it on the phone and every year he just adds to it. Okay. And so it's, it's since he started playing hockey, kind of like all the big songs plus, you know, kind of all the go-to hockey songs. And so it's fun to like, we listen to it as we're driving, you know, the three hours to the away game. And it's like, you, you, you hear it from the years past and, you know, I can't wait till he's like a senior in high school and we're still doing this. And, you know, we're listening to the pump up, you know, pop song. Yeah. From, pump, you know. pump the jam, pump it <laughs> yeah, off. Exactly. The faces, move it. <laughs> like, exactly. Griff's like, oh, this is a classic. And I'll be like, bro, you have no idea. This transcends time, man. This is like pre-Space Jam. It's like, there was a sequel. It's like, you mean the one with LeBron? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> have There's you ever heard of a world. named Michael? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. And like, is, is there any hand-me-downs going on in this, like gear-wise and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it, and it so since we've been here, we we have one family that we are insanely close with, and actually, it was the boys who introduced the two families, and so Griff and Timmy are best friends, and then they have a daughter, Hunter's age. Hunter and Josie are best friends. Uh, like awesome. they all just kind of found each other. They were all first year at the uh, elementary school all together, and so they kind of found each other as the new kids. And they both happen to be siblings. We happened, and it worked out really well. They are also Chicago transplants. Hmm. And so they are by far our closest friends here. And their kids also play hockey. So not only are there hand-me-downs, but it goes from Timmy to Griffin, back over to Josie, 
to Hunter. So Hunter, by the time this stuff gets to her, it's been through, you know, three other hockey players. And she's like, oh, it's <laughs> so, you know, some things you just can't get, you know, really out of the equipment. But we, we let her have her own skates and her own gloves. That's, Everything else is hand-me-down. Yeah, I, I immediately... Oh, and her own helmet. I'm thinking palms, like the that smell from the glove. God, it just oh, talk about transcending time. Like talk about like no soap is enough. Oh, geez, I used to. They used to get so crusty. The only way I could use them was going into the bathroom before the game and getting them wet, so yep. that they would like start becoming leather again oh yeah you know? i remember sitting on the bench and we'd squirt water oh. from the water bottles on our palms just to get them like moving again now i'm like can i just squirt water on me to get <laughs> does that work <laughs> you're like you're like the dryer sheets that dissolve in water it's like i gotta get loose spray me down it's like exactly exactly oh man that's fantastic uh was was hunters just love for the game out of the same just like being around the sport from you guys as a family growing up so was it it was it was very interesting when uh we found out we were having the little girl and uh griff i think had just started skating lessons or was about to and you know i made the joke to dave and i was like what if when she's old enough she says, mom, dad, I want to be a figure skater. I don't want to follow this whole hockey, <laughs> you know, path. And we we're like, all right, well, if that happens, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that in the moment. But, you know, as long as she's learning to skate, that's all that really matters. Yeah. And so we, we were ready for it. And sure enough, we asked her, we said, you know, do you want to, sign up for hockey or would you like to try another sport? Cause Dave was also really into speed skating. He's like, mm -hmm. you could try speed skating. And she was like, I'm not going to be the only one in this family that can't play hockey. I'm taking <laughs> that. <laughs> so she sure enough, she, she actually ended up starting earlier than Griff. Cause I don't know if you remember, but um, when we were back in Chicago, when we first started Griffin skating lessons, we had him at this one rink and, you know, the, the coach really just had no business dealing with the little kids. I mean, it takes mm. a certain person to deal mm. with little Absolutely. ones. Yeah. And he was just, you know, a yeller and he was a swearer and Griff would leave the ice every time, like eyes the size of saucers, like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so we made him stick with it because we had signed him up. We said, you have to stick with it through this, but if you really don't want to do it afterwards, we won't sign up again. So he stopped skating for, I think, two years. Mm -hmm. And then we went back into it after that because he, he, you know, he got older. He started watching the Hawks games with us and stuff. And he's like, okay, I want to try again. Um, and we just put him in. And that's when we were already starting to come up here okay. on the weekends. And so we put him in on weekends here mm -hmm. and that's kind of how we started at the program here we we're still living in chicago but we were coming up to the cabin on weekends so we were like let's put them in hockey up here try it out 
So let me ask you something, because I know that you grew up playing in Chicago and I know you were around Mike and I growing up playing a little bit to kind of see how the compare and contrast is true or not. Is, is this perception of Michigan hockey being like better than Chicago hockey true? So, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I always thought, you know, Michigan hockey was a whole step above, but um, I I actually think it's quite equivalent. And Mm. honestly, the, the, you know, we have our AAA club here um, that uh, is by far a step beyond anything, but all the local clubs and, you know, the travel A, travel Bs, they're all equivalent to what we play back in Chicago. And in fact, we would travel to Chicago tournaments and play those clubs. And it wasn't like we were, you know, piece of cake running over all of them. But the difference is we have one AAA program here a few in Detroit, but in like Chicago, you have Mission, you have Team Illinois, you have, you know, Glenview Stars, you have so much more opportunity to play at that next level that it's actually better there because you, one, have a pick of programs, you Mm -hmm. know, so if you, if you decide, you know, I really want to play Mission, you can work and try out and eventually play Mission. If you, if, if you're, skilled in and have that drive to make that level. But, you know, here really are, we have one option in this area okay. and that's to play for Fox. Okay. And so it, it's actually better back home because of the fact that you had so much um, opportunity. Interesting. Cause I would other... not say Mich- Michigan is a step above. Okay. Nice. Fighting words. Let's, let's. <laughs> Should I have said that? But I will tell you, I will tell you, like, the one thing that is very interesting is, so where we are in this smaller town, we have a lot of adults who made it to that level. And so what's great is we, like, our skills team that works out with all of our teams every week, uh, like, we have dads that went pro we have dads that you know played i mean a bunch of them that played uh at like the junior level and so the kids are having the opportunity to regularly work out with players that made the big show wow and so that is where it's a little different versus like a bunch of volunteer dads you know (laughs) and and so that from that perspective i will say it's fabulous here Oh, cool. I, and I mean, yeah, it's interesting how when I was growing up, it felt like um, you played hockey and then you went to camp in the summertime. Yeah. Is it, is it now you play hockey and you go to hockey camp in the summertime? So they, they really do push multi-sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really want these kids to play multiple um, you know, whether it be hockey and lacrosse or baseball or whatever it might be, they really want them to have, you know, multiple experiences, but like with Griff, he's 14 heading into high school and he really has to decide what sport is going to be his primary sport because now it is, it's, you know, your full season and then your off season and then, you know, your training and, 
Um, so for, for our kids, at least, it really has become hockey year-round. Again, with COVID, it's different. But like uh, the, the year prior to COVID, like the boys, they all played their full season. And then they went to Notre Dame sleepaway camp. And they spent um, a couple weeks at Notre Dame, you know, living in the dorms doing the Notre Dame coaching staff, all that program and loved it. In fact, we had them signed up to go again and sadly COVID Mm. pulled that out. But um, I'm not sure what it's going to be like at the high school level. Cause I, from what I hear is they have a lot of summer camp and programs that they do themselves, but uh, I, I don't really know. In fact, our area, our high school just combined with, another high school here in the same town. So the whole team structure is different. And um, this was the first year of that here. So, but it was an odd year with COVID. So we're not really sure what it'll look like. Um, But our kids are actually, Griff isn't even gonna try out for high school as a freshman. He's gonna stay in the uh, COHA program, which is our local um, hockey program. And, play out of there because it's a longer season than the hockey or than the high school season. So while he can do it, we, we want to keep him in the longer program. Hmm. And I mean, I, I know that's what uh, Mike and I did in freshman year. I think even sophomore year, cause we were like late bloomers and birthday situation. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, I mean, I love this answer too, just because it's so it's like a good perspective and look into kind of how hockey's operating. Now I definitely felt like growing up, it was common to see one of our players like run into the locker room before practice, still kind of in their football gear. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really the case at the high school level anymore. Cause you were saying like, they're kind of forced to choose, which is an interesting part of the competitiveness of it. And I know that growing up, Mike and I benefited from a situation where while we were all going uh, to one high school from combined communities, the high school was still quite large. And mm-hmm. we, we actually went through the high school hockey program when they were adding more teams to help right. with the population getting larger, understanding that it was important to keep kids in sport and recognizing it was an affluent enough community to support it. So as you guys have been going through all these development camps and getting them into certain programs and get, and in Griffin's case, approaching the high school level, is there this understood path that they should be in certain programs in order to help their chances succeed at the inevitable team that they should be making by the time that they're 17 or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, so it depends. It also depends on what your child's aspirations are. So, um, yeah, we have a really realistic outlook at um, where our kids fall on the skill level. And so we we really like we want our kids to be able to play high school. We want our kids to be able probably to play like club hockey um, when they move off to college. But especially Griff, who we can really see you know, cause he's 14 now. I, I can really tell where his skill is developing. And, um, I mean, he, he, he's not a kid that's going to go off and play juniors and potentially play pros. He's just not. Um, 
And so for him, we know kind of the path we're going to put him through. And, and so, you know, we know what, what his current level is and what our aspiration of level is. And then there's all the other levels. And so we still push him to achieve the next level above where he currently plays. But to do, get to that, we, we put him in appropriate programs. So if you really think your child has the chance of playing AAA or going on to juniors, you know, being recruited to go to one of the boarding schools out east, then you would probably put them in a program where you're sending them up to Canada, or you know, you're sending them to one of those boarding schools um, program camp pro, uh, summer programs, but that's not realistic for Griff. And so we're putting him in like there's uh, Western Michigan is right here in town. They okay. have a day camp, and so we put him in that program for the summer to do the you know it's like two weeks long. He'll do that program. It's a local in and out. We'll, we'll send him to Notre Dame because it's fun. He goes with his buddies and, but, and they're all camps that push him, but I mean, we're, we're just not like, we have one dad on his team who was just boasting about the fact that he's already put a hundred thousand dollars into his child's development. And we're like, Holy, that's smokes. insane. <laughs> playing on the same team with my kid you know? how so, embarrassing for like, you <laughs> i just you know so we have a really realistic realistic view of the level of hockey and where we compete and but i'm not saying by any means we tell our children eh, you're never gonna make it don't have that dream you know that that's not it at all but we know we can see the path he's headed. And so we, we push him to achieve a little bit more without stressing him out. Cause that's the other thing. We watch these kids who are just stressed to the nines over whether or not they can make that next team or they can achieve that next goal. And it, it's, almost the mental game, the mental side of it, that's holding them back because their families and the, themselves are putting so much pressure on them. They're not even enjoying the game anymore. Like that's when hockey has changed in my mind, when like you're watching your kids and they're not fist bumping, they're not, you know, laughing with their buddies on the bench. Now they're in fact yelling at each other and they're slamming their stick on the bench, yelling at their lines, like, we watched that this season with Griff on his team, and it was just like he he would just sit back on the bench and not even engage his line mates because they're being nasty. And it was just like, that's not the kind of hockey I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you watch those stresses, and they only amplify as these kids get older. And, you know, it, it, and that's the side of the sport when they're feeling those pressures from their parents that you just kind of like – catch a clue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The reason we play sports is because it's fun. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't put our kids through this to torture them and, and make them miserable. We, we do it because sports develops and creates these amazing human beings later in life when they're actually working a full-time job (laughs) because the number of people who play up here in the NHL, very limited. (laughs) And if all the parents' kids who think their kid's going to make it to the NHL did, NHL would be 
quadruple the size it currently is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, instead of like the four divisions going on, it would be like the four continents competing exactly. against each other exactly. or something like that. I know there's yeah. more than four continents, people. I'm not that dense. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I do want to ask you a little bit about this topic, but related more to Hunter, because I don't know much about Hunter's experience or history in the sport, but I do know just from what you share on social media that she is uh, really, in, she seems to really be enjoying the game. And she, she she's being recognized for it by, you know, getting a hardest worker, hard hat for her team and stuff like that. So there's a lot about Hunter I want to talk about, um, but I'm not sure where to start. So I'll just throw one question at you and then we'll see where it goes. But it's like when she wanted to get into the sport, how much did her gender factor into what you guys were going to be doing about how you'd approach her getting into the sport and how much of a factor did her gender play in those plans that you had? So, you know, I think for us, it was a little unique because obviously I played, my sister played and, you know, I played both with men and with women. So I had had both of those experiences for a significant amount of time. And, um, and, in the program that was available to her, while there was at the time a women's program, it was not uh, a very large program or a very successful program. They literally had, I think, um, five birth years playing all together on one team. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It is nothing. This is where I will say we are far behind Chicago when it comes to the women's programs here. Um, There is one location, well, two actually, that have full uh, women's programs, one being where they have the AAA team, and then another one just started last year, and they have a full uh, women's program. But um, so we knew going into it, she would likely be playing men's hockey or or boys hockey, uh, co-ed to hockey. You know, which we were open to because I had personally never had an, a negative experience playing co-ed. So I didn't have any thoughts or feelings about it one way or the other. Um, and our, our co-op program here, the local program was, is wonderful. They do a number of uh, girls events just to try to bring more and more girls into hockey, just Very as cool. a sport in general. They have an affiliation with USA Hockey because we run an ADM program. And so, like, they would bring in uh, some of the USA Hockey reps from Denver and they'd come in and they'd do events just for girls on the ice. So, <clears throat> we knew Koha would be a fabulous place for her initially. And so, now, so next year, she will be going into 12U, which is equivalent to Pee Wee but we now call it 12 U. <laughs> okay. um, and, um, and so that will be the last two years. She'll really be able to play because then we go into checking and that's when the big decision will have to be made uh, of whether we're going to stay co-ed or move on and play girls. And uh, so 
including Hunter, because we always involve her in the questions because she has done a few one-off, like three-on-three tournaments with all-girl tournaments. And uh, she, I mean, while she tells you, I want to play co-ed, she also really loves playing with girls on her co-ed team. So this past season, she she was one of four girls. And I kid you not, uh, I would say the four girls were probably in the top six players of the team. All four. Wow. So the talent really fell on the girls this season, which was just as a girl mom. I mean, that's super cool. (laughs) But it is, a. I will also say it's a combined. So uh, the B program is a combined two year program. And so she was a second year playing. Mm. So you, you hope that your second years are a little more skilled than the first Mm -hmm. years, but they were definitely in the top the ones driving the team. And so that was fun to watch, but, um, you know, she'll play the next two years for sure. Co-ed, uh, and then we'll see what she wants to do. Mm. Um, this year for the first time, she's also choosing to try out for travel a. Oh, cool. So we'll see where that goes as well. And, uh, you know, the nice thing is we aren't that far from Detroit. I mean, we're far enough, but we're not that far that if she really starts to have aspirations, um, that we could find her some really competitive girls programs here. Um, so cool. we'll, we'll see if that's a route we have to take or not. Um, currently, I, I would not envision it being a route we have to take while she's a fast little player. She's got decent hands. She, she's been, she's really small, very small. Like Griff is small. Hunter is very small. Um, and uh, she's been crushed a couple times, like scary crushes mm. into the boards head first. And she just, Ooh. when anytime those happen, it takes her a number of games to shake off the fear of these guys twice her size railing her <laughs> yeah. they do you know when they get frustrated they pick on the smaller they will. ones yeah and she is by far the smallest um so. that makes sense and i mean that's just another obstacle i think girls and women have to endure in a sport that has been super male dominated for decades so and, but i will also say she has also probably had a number of opportunities because she's a girl mm. that most boys would never have because you know there you're one of two three four on the ice and so all the coaches know okay that's hunter we know her and with hunter she's the smallest mm-hmm. and they'll be like you know what it'd be great to have a girl you know, go out and be on the cover of our, I'm looking at, she was like the poster child for uh, Koha here. I'm going to turn you, see if you can see this. Can you see her on the cover of? Oh yeah, I can. Yeah. Wow. She was like the face of Koha. And so not only did she get to do this whole like photo shoot and go do all of that, like she, she gets all these extra experiences because people notice her because she's female and tiny. And so, you know, while yes, every now and then you're like, this, this, 
this might not work so well, you know, but then it's all the other stuff that you get to do because of hockey. Yeah. And I mean, if, if, if it's because she's a, a girl that she's experiencing some of these things, so be it. There's been a lot of reasons that girls haven't experienced things because they're girls. So, yeah, you know, it's the least that we all can be doing. Um, and then another thing that's different about Hunter growing up in a world of pro hockey versus you and I is she can at least be aware of the fact that there's an NWHL right now. And before that, the CWHL. Mm -hmm. So how much of that have you seen is or isn't becoming a factor in just how she goes about playing? So it's interesting. So she gets really into the Olympics Uh more so than the women's hockey leagues. Sure. And I, I, I think part of that is, due to our Olympic obsession, you know, as you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little bit obsessed with the women's <laughs> U.S. soccer team. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh. Um, but uh, so I do think that that I might have had a small influence there. Um, but part of it is also she's had the opportunity to experience um, skating with a number of the U.S. Um, people from USA Hockey and some of the former Olympians. And so having that one-on-one That's really cool. only makes it that much more exciting. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's like anyone. When you meet your favorite player, it, it takes them from like, you're a fan to now you're a fanatic and you're like obsessed with this person. Same sort of thing has happened. And, you know, it's, it's been wonderful for us because of, you know, the affiliation we have with USA hockey, Um, you know, everything from like Emily West coming in and doing these fabulous clinics to, you know, Hunter got to go and skate with, some of the current Olympians uh, over in um, Plymouth. Wow. And and these are all solely based on our club's connection with them. And so she's really become obsessed with the U.S. hockey team. And so, you know, quite frankly, if, if, we are able to start to engage some of the women because it's not really on TV. So she would have to be, you know, trying to watch those games, mm-hmm. whereas like the Olympics, it's all aired. And so it's really easy. And, you know, they have the U.S. Hockey Magazine. And so she gets that in the mail and she gets to read about these fabulous female uh, hockey players. And so it's there it, it, and she gets to experience it in so many different forms. Whereas with the current women's leagues, y- you have to actively pursue it to see mm-hmm. it. And so that's where, you know, for an 11 year old today, um, she is not actively going after that because she's watching, you know, the, the Olympic athletes. And I mean, that's super cool though, that like, I think the point in that, that I really loved you saying was she's been influenced by the people she's been able to be around or watch on television. And 
one of the big milestones of professional women's hockey this last year was the NWHL had their first games on TV ever. And just as a residual effect of that, when you mentioned things like someone has to actively seek out going and watching an NWHL game. Yeah. It's not even intuitive that their website is NWHL.zone. What is .zone? I mean, why don't they even own the NWHL.com domain? I don't know. Don't, that's a completely different conversation. It's, but it's, it's the point is like, it's super awesome that now we've got a little bit more accessibility to women's hockey now, because at the very minimum, we got a few games on the NBCSN network before it went away. And we all know that, well, not all of us, but there's been some significantly new hockey uh, television deals that have just been signed at the NHL level. There's more NHL clubs partnering with the NWHL. Mm -hmm. And I just see women's hockey growing in general and being more accessible. And no argument, the best hockey, in my opinion, in the world is still a USA versus Canada hockey women's game. Like, oh my God. Oh my God, it's the best. Um, And I will tell you, outside of, you know, Chicago Stadium, when we had the all-star game outside of those games, the most memorable hockey moment for me will always be Salt Lake city, us versus Canada, like fourth row back behind the goal. Like I will, I mean, and I was never the adventurous type. I went to that game alone because someone said hey we got a ticket do you want to go yes yes I do (laughs) and I went by myself and I sat there I screamed my head off and cheered for those women and it will forever forever be one of my favorite memories of hockey incredible there was meeting my husband on the ice but (laughs) you know the women's hockey will still be my favorite. <laughs> I like how we can edit this later to include right. more things, you know, but uh, I mean, to have a memory like that is incredible. And it was super fun to be part of your nuptial cup when you guys yeah. did that. Um, for those that have no idea and what I we're talking about. Jersey. Nice. As well. Okay. Hold so on. go grab that. I'll, I'll tell, it. I'll tell them the story, but basically Lori met her husband playing rec hockey. And then as instead of like a true bachelor bachelorette party, which they probably still did, it was super cool. They did this thing called the nuptial cup. And it was basically like the groom side versus the bride side in a hockey game. And what Lori is doing right now for all of us is she just showed off this signed Jersey of everyone that was part of that game, which was super fun. What a what a cool thing to have happen for sure. But now did you did you tell the details of playing for the name? No, I didn't. Okay. So there's a whole nother level to this <laughs> game. So um we we did a whole draft party and like many you know hockey events, it happened in a bar. And <laughs> after a couple pitchers, we decided not only were we gonna have this bride's team, groom's team thing. We were going to play for the name. If Bride's team won, it was going to become a Cabot. 
if the groom's team won, I'd become an altar guy. So we go through the draft and it became a little obvious by the way <laughs> was going was that Dave had figured out a way to cheat the draft. However, <laughs> Dave also figured out a way to keep my beer fuller than his beer. And it took me a while to realize what was going on. And so I ended up with a lot of our slugs and Dave ended up with like all the D1 <laughs> former, you know, uh, college athletes, you know, I, I think even he had uh, our buddy who was signed with Detroit, like <laughs> he had all the superstars on his team playing for the name. And so fast forward to the game and needless to say he won, but I felt, I felt as if, you know, he had tried to pull a fast one. So I did, in fact, take his name, but solely out of principle. <laughs> I refused to drop my name because he didn't earn the right to fully remove my name. So now I have the world's longest name of Lauren Cabot Altergott because I had to stick with, you know, taking his name like the bet said, but out of principle, I refused to drop mine. <laughs> That's so great. I like how it said, all I had to do was take your name. It said nothing about dropping mine. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I think we all assumed I would, but once he tried pulling a fast one, it became principal. <laughs> oh my God. That's so fantastic. Yeah. I, and, and I mean, if we don't, if you don't mind sticking with this a little bit, um, just because your, your father was such an influential man in my life too. And for my best friend, Mike, and, um, we ended up having a, another tournament many years later to honor his memory. Yeah. And it's one of the most amazing experiences I've ever been a part of. And it was so cool to see how there were two really well, beautiful, wholesome moments in hockey, like out of family reasons and community that I don't even remember the game. I just remember the moments and like the yeah. fact that we did these two things and it makes me so happy, you know, and I don't know. What do you remember about it? Well, yeah. So that event, it, you know, it was both one of those moments where, you know, you, you hadn't seen most of these players in a very long time, certainly not all together, because ultimately what happened when we kind of threw out there this idea of doing the Memorial Cup for my dad, you know, my dad had been involved in so many hockey teams and so many hockey players' lives that, you know, we threw it out there thinking maybe a couple people would bite and we'd have like a quick, you know, four on four pickup game with just a couple of us and that would be it. But literally it turned into everyone my dad had ever played with. Like people were flying in from California to be there for this, you know, ridiculous fun game. And so my dad had played on, I want to say, say five teams over his you know 20 years of playing so obviously he played with the barbarians and the admirals but then he had put together that team that we went you know overseas and played in Amsterdam and then we put as we got older we put together the slugs for all of us old timers um so 
you know, he played with all these women because the slugs were a combined men and women's team. And so ultimately we had about four or five teams worth of players all there this one night to play in a hockey game. So the benches were ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I remember that. Yeah. 30 people on either bench. Yeah. And, you know, it's all people who hadn't seen each other in so long, or even some who had never met each other, sharing stories, mostly about my dad, but then also about our ridiculous times altogether. Mm-hmm. Because we also don't realize when we're in those moments of, you know, you're playing and you have this phenomenal group of people come together and you're just having the best time. You don't realize that that's not how it's always going to be. And not mm-hmm. every team, every group of humans you're going to play hockey with are going to be that special. But then that moment moves on and you're playing with other people and you never quite have that moment again. So now you have all those people back in one room on the ice doing what you love doing with them. And it was just ridiculously fun. Yeah. And I, I, I do, I, I can't tell you for the life of me who scored a goal, what this score was or any of that. But I can tell you about the moment my sister tried to dive tackle my husband. <laughs> rolling around on the ice and like like those are the moments that still stick in my mind and then like Hanover like jumping mm-hmm. on top of the pile and that's like, actually what I was thinking about <laughs> <laughs> and then like and then I also remember like some of the sadder moments as we all kind of got choked up as we came together at the very end to take a big group picture and I don't know what was said, but someone said something about dad and we all kind of started getting choked up and then like, you know, some tears are rolling and it was just, and then we rolled into the bar and drank more beers and had a blast and yeah. told our stories and reminisced. And, you know, it, it, we realized just how influential he mm-hmm. was in so many people's lives in this sport that he picked up playing in his 40s? 40s? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's, and it's part of what made Dave and I 100% confident we were going to put our kids, or at least give them the option to play this sport. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there is nothing like a hockey player. There just isn't. They, the hockey is unlike any other sport out there, they create this, this breed of human that is unlike any other. And I also really think that they're held to a different standard, at least most definitely the last generation. I personally still try to instill it in my children, but like the coaches don't mess around. Like you have to be respectful. We don't, we don't accept disrespect on the ice. And that's partly by our refs, that's partly by our coaches, and it's partly by our parents. I don't know about the programs where you are, but like our programs, we require our kids to do community um, volunteer work. We require our kids, like they still have to continue doing that stuff, which all shapes these fabulous Mm -hmm. little humans. And that's what it's 
about because as I keep saying, they're not all going to go to the NHL. Some of these kids are going to come out on the other end and have to go into nine to fivers. And you know what? To have that experience working with a nonprofit, to have that experience, even doing what they love on the ice with kids, you know, of a different socioeconomic status or with kids who can't afford to play a sport like hockey. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it, 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 creates these amazing little humans and that is part of why I think hockey is so unique and it's part of what my dad tried to instill in so mm-hmm. many of us because it did he helped you know shape so many people's lives through that game and his life was changed through it because he started meeting all these amazing people he ultimately ended up joining you know the Blackhawk Alumni Association to be a business partner in the community helping you know because back then the NHLers didn't come out of their NHL career with millions in the bank I mean I'm, I'm what 12 years older than you so that gives you an idea of like the time difference and yeah. These, these players weren't retiring from the NHL and just retiring for life. They had to then find their next job. And that was part of what my dad did with the Alumni Association. He was a business leader. And so he would help these kids coming, because ultimately they are kids, mm-hmm. coming out of the NHL and not really sure what they can do with their life. Because at the time, back then, the kids weren't really encouraged to finish their college career before going into the NHL. Well, I mean, we've been talking for a while and I'm really enjoying the conversation. It's mainly because I love talking about your dad too. Um, (laughs) But I, I do respect that it's like a busy life as a hockey mom. And I'm super thankful for all of the time that we're doing. I don't want this to be our only conversation about the topic, but I do want to just say thank you so much for sharing these stories with me and reminiscing about the past uh i I sure hope within all of this time we find something usable for this podcast but (laughs) um in all seriousness what i love to do with people when i'm talking to them is just and i think this really resonates with like the timing of this episode release is just you've you've given us so much insight into like why hockey is a really great sport or a great activity to be involved in regardless of the actual athletics involved or what you might aspire to as an athlete. Um, I just thought what might be fun is, you know, as a last parting thing and being so seasoned through hockey in the community and raising kids and a guy and a girl and all of that, that comes with it. Like, is there any just general advice that you'd like to give to parents that are kind of going through this situation of maybe hockey entering their lives unexpectedly or someone who's stewed in it forever and is just going through their next like chapter of it. What, what would you like to tell to the the parents out there? So I would say one, it's never too late to get involved in hockey. I didn't put a pair of skates on till I was 21. My father didn't put skates on until he was in his 40s. Like, it is never too late. 
And so all the stories we've been sharing have been literally in the second half of my life. So you can only imagine what I would be talking about if I had played in my early years. But also I'm watching my kids who you know, have started at really young ages and much like my experience, they have already developed friendships and relationships with coaches that, that are influencing and shaping their lives. And I, you know, I have never played baseball. I've never had kids involved with baseball. So I can't speak to other sports, but I can speak to the nature of hockey and what I watch it do to people and children. And it is, it just, one, it is a smaller community. While hockey is much larger now, it's still a smaller, mm -hmm. united group of people. And typically, if you start talking to people from another team, you suddenly discover, you know, you, you have people in common. In fact, now I have to go on a tangent. I'm sorry. So <laughs> here's a funny story. So um, the very first year we were playing here in Michigan, yeah, we're at Hunter's, I think it was first or second game. And there's a dad from Hunter's team sitting next to us. And we're talking and turns out he's from the Chicago area as well. And so then we're kind of talking about where we grew up and he grew up playing hockey. And, um, and he mentioned the team he played for and he's, and we're like, Oh, that's funny. You know, one of the guys we played with as an adult who really close friend of ours, uh, played um, on that team for a year and then moved over to a different club. And, and so we're talking about it and he, and he pauses and he goes, can I just ask, what's the name of your friend? And we go, Danny LaValle. And he goes, I know Danny LaValle. He was my nemesis. And he's going into all these stories about growing up playing against Danny LaValle and how they were the same build, same size, same rough speed. And so the two of them battled each other for like five years. He's like, I could tell you everything there is to know about Danny LaValle. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a friend of ours. And like, that is hockey to me. We are such a community. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, you know, I talk in tangents. And so as much as I'm trying to get to my point, I then have to add, you know, another story. Like, I, I think to myself, we, we met a family who I would say we're, we're friendly with not close friends with, but friendly with. And they needed to move out of their house because the basement flooded and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit moment. They're scrambling, trying to figure out a way to move out of their house. So you know what happens? All the hockey families show up at her house and we all moved her out in one day. These, these are like 40, 50 year old adults moving like, you know, like we did back in college, but that's just what hockey communities do. You have a need. We, we step in and, and we fill it. You know, it's just, it's, it's a group unlike any other. And mm. so you ask, what would I say? I would say, don't hesitate, get involved in hockey. You might be an adult thinking about playing some rec hockey. You might be, you know, a parent thinking about putting your kid in. You might be, you know, about to head into high school and you've always wanted to play. All I have to say is do it. You will never regret going out, learning to skate, 
playing a sport that is just fun and everyone's out there because they have a passion for it. It's just not one of those sports that you have to put an investment in in the very beginning. And you're not going to make that investment unless you want to be there. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who's out there wants to be there and you'll find like-minded people and you'll, it'll just, it's so worth it. Best people in my life. I met playing hockey or I met because my kids play hockey with their kids. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Uh, thank you for like it, giving us those stories. And I mean, yeah, it's so validating to hear like your experience has been similar to mine. And as I continue to be involved, I start noticing how it's coming more full circle to mm-hmm. or, or how the people like when you were tangenting, I could have said the same thing. There, there's somebody I'm now very heavily involved with helping do uh, a blind hockey showcase tournament who turns uh-huh. out that used to be my arch nemesis because he was playing varsity hockey for Evanston at the time I was playing. For the uh, and it's, it's just very weird how worlds collide again. Um, Absolutely. But also if you, if you find a place within the game that you're enjoying, continue to give back because it, it, it does in spades. I can tell you from the small amount of time I've decided to do that, just how much it's meant to me. And um, that's just to me personally. I don't even know the effect I'm making on others. I'd like to think it's super positive, but I, I just, I, I, went into this thinking like it was a responsibility and I had no expectations over what it would do to me as an individual. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by the experience for sure. So. No, I I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. And you know, the truth of the matter is because I'm also a parent of a player. And so I know the effect that, you know, people like you, people who volunteer, people who, go out and coach or people who even just like show up at open skate and work with the kids because they used to play and it's fun for them to get engaged again. Those moments have the biggest impact on these kids. You, it's unmeasurable Mm -hmm. how influential people like you who take those moments have on the kids' lives. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's so true. I'm I'm just flashbacking now to like practices where like the AAA player came back and worked with the coach and then the scrimmage at the end and you're the one that steals the puck from the older guy and it's like, yeah. whoa, you know, like it all matters. All of it matters. Even just the sm- smallest thing like a fist bump. Like yep. when, when Hunter's out there playing with Griffin's friends, who obviously it's like huge talent gap from a 10-year-old girl to a 15-year-old boy. Yeah, you know, huge talent gap just based on age. But the moment she does something, there's that glimmer because you always have that moment of greatness. And when they acknowledge it, you can read it across her face. She lights up like a Christmas tree. And it's just like, those are the moments that like, that 15 year old boy has no clue how impactful, like running over and, you know, bopping her on the head or fist bumping her had. But that's what she talks about for the next 48 hours straight. <laughs> you know? And that that's just it. 
That's, that's the stuff. Yep. Amen, I should say. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks, Lori. I mean, oh, my pleasure. I, I really appreciate this, but also it's just super good to connect with you again and hear how the kids are doing and Sorry, Dave. I know you're listening because she made you listen. He but... actually went upstairs. He's like, <laughs> if he doesn't want to talk to me, I don't want to listen to him. <laughs> it's only because it's Mother's Day. You know, we'll right? get you we'll get you to uh get to plead your case on the on next month. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now uh, we'll have we'll have you with uh, the whole uh Altergot clan, all four hockey players. Yeah, that would be super fun, actually. I'd love that. Um, well, take care and Thank thanks you. so much. And uh, yeah, just good luck with the COVID hockey season and situation. And um, Thank you. Uh, we got tryouts right around the corner here. All right. All right. Away. <laughs> not like you're counting or anything. Awesome. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, take care. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.